You know, it's interesting the structure of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus' first sermon in the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is sitting down and he's on a mountain. And the last sermon that Jesus preached, which is the Olivet Discourse, called the Olivet Discourse because he's sitting on the Mount of Olives. And if you could picture Jerusalem in your minds, the Mount of Olives is east of Jerusalem and overlooks the entire temple area. So Jesus is giving his last sermon before he is going to be crucified. And he's just told his disciples in chapter 23, verse 38, there on page 1538, look, your house is left to you desolate. Have you ever come across a desolate building? As Sandy and I walk, which I hope to return to long walking again soon, when she and I walk, we sometimes see desolate houses, houses that are abandoned. Nobody lives in them, and, and vegetation has grown up around them. The windows are broken out, meth heads gathered there, and other things. A desolate house, a house that's almost like a haunted house. Your house has left you desolate. He's obviously been talking about God's house, God's temple. And so that's why his disciples begin to ask him uh, about the temple. They ask him privately because he says in response to all that, that not one stone will be left standing on another. I remember in February and March of 2000, my pastor son-in-law and I went on a tour of Israel and we visited the Temple Mount. And not one stone has been left standing on another. What you see when you see Jewish people gathered at the Wailing Wall, the Wailing Wall is not part of the temple. It was part of the foundation that Herod the Great built up on which the temple was built. But Jesus' words were literally and absolutely fulfilled within a generation. Not one stone was left standing on top of another. And now in place of the Jewish temple, you have two sites that are very holy to Muslims. It is the third holiest site in Islam, Mecca, then Medina, and then the Dome of the Rock, where Muhammad's horse left a hoof print uh, when he went to heaven. Hoof print. Then the Dome of the Rock. And so there's... There's the Dome of the Rock, and next to it, the Mosque of Omar. So these are the third holiest sites in Islam, occupying the place where the Jewish temple once was. Because Jesus says of it, your house. He's no longer calling it God's house. Your house is left you desolate. Now, as he's there, sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples want to know, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Why do they put it all together? Because they think that it's the end of the world. For the temple to be destroyed is the end of the world. Let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture. First, turn back with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. And that's when the temple that Solomon built is being dedicated. Now listen to what Solomon says there uh, on page 535. And he says there, 
in verse 27, 1 Kings 8, 27. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. What is he saying? He's saying that God can't be contained in a house. And yet it's as if the Jewish temple built by Solomon is an embassy of heaven. You know that embassies of other nations are sovereign pieces of land. That's why if in a foreign country you can get inside the American embassy, you're protected. Because the American embassy is protected by the United States. And we're supposed to accept that with regard to embassies all over the world. That an embassy of a foreign country is sacred territory. It's not allowed to be invaded. So if you, if for example, you are in uh, Iran and you go into the American embassy, you're supposed to be safe. The trouble is that the Iranians remembered that Teddy Roosevelt's boy, Kermit uh, Roosevelt, staged a coup d'etat against their democratically elected government and got the Shah of Iran reinstalled. And that's why during the Carter administration, they seized our embassy because they were afraid that we were about to stage another coup d'etat out of our embassy. That just isn't supposed to be done. You don't use your embassy to overthrow the government where you're located. But the thing of this point is this, God, cannot be contained in his house. But his house that Solomon built was an embassy of heaven itself. And that's why God put his name there. And so now I want you to turn with me over to the book of Ezekiel for a moment. Keep going right. And in Ezekiel chapter, uh, let's see, I've got to get it right. Past Jeremiah, Ezekiel chapter 10. Ezekiel chapter 10. And that's page 1297, verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground, and as they went, the wheels went up with them. They stopped at the entrance to the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. The point of this is, and you've got to realize this is all in the disciples' thinking, as Jesus has said, your house has been left you desolate. God's house that he commissioned Solomon, the son of David, to build for him as his own embassy on earth has been left desolate because of the wickedness of the people in Judah, because of the wickedness of the priests, because of all the things that were going on in Jerusalem, God cursed his own house. 
And that's why we have this description of the glory of God departing. You know, I think about that. You remember when, when uh, the son of one of the high priests, uh, the grandson of Eli the high priest, when this grandson was born and the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the Philistines, what did she name him? Ichabod. What does Ichabod mean? Kavod is the Hebrew word for glory. The glory is departed because no longer would the Ark of the Covenant, which represented in a very special way God's special presence, the Ark of the Covenant had been taken by the Philistines. So the glory, Ichabod, the glory, Kavod, had departed from Israel, from out of the tabernacle. And so the same thing happens to Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple stood for hundreds of years. But when the people of God continued in their rebellion, God turned his back on his own house. And he left the house, Ichabod, the glories departed. And, And Ezekiel, who was a priest but in exile, is permitted to see this happening in a vision. As the cherubs lift God up, and carry God away from his embassy. And so there's the picture. Now, if we go back to Matthew chapter 24, what we see here is that for the disciples, this is the end of the world. Are you mean, Lord Jesus, do you mean that you're going to depart, that God's glory is going to depart from this house? Do you know, they were still building the temple when Jesus said these words. Herod the Great did a great remodeling program beginning in 19 B.C. And when Jesus began his ministry, they'd been building that temple for 46 years. And they were still building it. Do you know that the building of of the remodeling program of Solomon's, excuse me, of the rebuilt temple, the second temple, did not get completed until about four years before it was destroyed? And so in the disciples' minds, they put all of this together in in, in verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In their minds, it's all one big deal. For the glory of God to depart from the temple, for him to call the temple their house rather than his house for the glory to depart it's the end of the world it's all over wow and so notice jesus words in verse four and he says watch out that no one deceives you and he describes all these things if you think about verses four to eight these are things that have happened throughout history Some people look at that and say, oh, well, we're we're having these earthquakes now and we're having wars and rumors of war. We've got a war in the Ukraine. We've got uh, a potential war in the China Strait there, uh, Taiwan Strait. We've got this happening in North Korea, South Korea. Listen, dear ones, there's nothing in verses 4 to 8 that hasn't been happening since human beings had their first civilization. There are always wars and rumors of war. You know, as I read through places like 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and 1 Kings, you know, one thing that strikes me is 
History is just one horrible thing happening after another. Wars, greed. Where does war come from? It comes from greed. I want what you've got. I can't get it. And so I've got armed soldiers. We'll go in and take it. Look at the book of Judges. All of it's one terrible thing after another. Wars and rumors of war. So what verses 4 to 8 are describing is simply things that go on all the time. It's not like we can look at this and say this is increasing and this is increasing because it's always happened. But if you look at verse 8, he speaks of it as birth pains. Now what happens when a lady's giving birth? And I've been present at the birth of four of my five children. My, my second daughter was too fast. But I was also present at the, at the birth of my first grandchild, uh, but not waiting down front. And one thing you learn about in birth is that contractions come with increasing regularity, Less time between them, less time between them, and intensifying. So there's a hint here, let's say this. There's a hint in verse 8 that these kinds of things that have been going on from time immemorial, wars and rumors of war, earthquake, famine, plague, COVID, all these kinds of things that have been going on from time immemorial will intensify and will increase. That's an implication. It's not explicit. Now look at verse 9. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now I want to think about that for a moment. Part of these things that happen in nations, verses 4 to 8, happen in a particular way to God's people. And he talks about wickedness. And I want to zero in for just a moment on verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Now that happens throughout history. But think about it. When iniquity abounds, when lawlessness abounds, then people are afraid to stand up for the Lord. And when they are afraid to stand up for the Lord, when they decide, well, maybe I shouldn't gather with other believers, what happens? Their love grows cold. How do you keep a hot heart? That's what I want. I want a hot heart. And I want all five of my children and five of my children-in-law and 14 grandchildren and two uh, grandchildren-in-law, I want them all to have a hot heart because a hot heart is a heart that will be faithful in abiding in Christ. And that's hard when people, when lawlessness abounds. And now look at verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now you think about this for a moment. You think, well, this hasn't happened yet. And I want to tell you, all of these things happened within the lifetime of those who heard Jesus speak. He doesn't say the whole world in the sense of the cosmos. He says the whole world referring to the 
oikumene, the inhabited world, the civilized world, not the inhabited world, the civilized world. Remember that the Greeks and the Romans believed everybody was a barbarian who wasn't part of their empires. Their empires are the oikumene, the inhabited world of civilization. Outside of civilization, people are barbarians. And what Jesus is saying here is that before the end, the gospel be, be preached throughout the Roman Empire. And it was. St. Paul went to Spain. St. Paul went to Turkey. Others went down into Egypt. The gospel was preached before the year 70 AD throughout the Roman world. And then he says, then the end will come. What is the end that Jesus is talking about? If you look at verse 15, you see something very clearly. He's not talking about the second coming of Christ. He's talking about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Now, when Jesus comes again, will it make any difference if you're on Interstate 49 or sitting in a pew in the church? or in your lounge chair in your home, or in the bathroom, or eating a meal in a restaurant. When Jesus comes, when the trumpet sounds and the archangel shouts, and the Lord Jesus returns for his people, will it make any difference wherever you are? The answer is no. He, they're going to get you one way or another. The Lord's going to send his angels and bring you to where he is. You'll be caught up into the air. So you don't have to do anything. But look at verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, then let the reader understand, he says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one go on the roof of his house, on the roof of his house, go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. If this is the rapture of the church, what? It doesn't make sense. This isn't the rapture of the church. This is the end of Jerusalem's temple. This is the end of the city of Jerusalem. There's specific action to be taken here. See? When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and we've looked at that a lot in the past months, the abomination of desolation. When you see that, get out. Get out or it'll be too late. Don't go back in your house. You see, you could sometimes jump from house to house, very little distance between houses. If you're in the field, don't go in the city. What happened to the Christian Jews who were living in Jerusalem when these things happened? They left. They left in mass. They were able to escape. But the people who were unbelieving Jews stayed in. In fact, many of them went inside and were bold. And these things about false Christs and false prophets deceiving many, all those things happened in the first century of the Christian era. They all happened. If you want to read an account of an eyewitness of what happened with the fall of Jerusalem, you need to read the writings of Flavius Josephus. He was a general commanding the Jewish armies of the Galilee, and he was defeated. And he realized that the cause was hopeless. Fighting a hopeless war is simply an act of suicide. 
And so he went over to the Romans and tried to persuade his own people to quit fighting. And he describes in minute details the things that happened. And all of the things that you read about in verses 4 through 8, 9 through 14, they all happened with the fall of Jerusalem. That's what he's talking about. And the fall of, the, of Jerusalem is when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans and they destroyed the temple. So as we saw before, why does he have these words in verse 15, let the reader understand? Matthew, writing for a Jewish audience, realizes that other people may not understand this. And so what does he do? He says, let the reader understand. What is the abomination of desolation? If you keep your hand there and turn over to Luke chapter 21, which is a parallel passage, he will tell you exactly what it is. And he says in verse 20, Luke 21, 20, page 1636, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. Verse 22, for this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against these peop this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now I've got a question. Is there significance to 1948 when Israel declared its independence as a state? And who was the second nation in the world to recognize the Jewish independent state? I've said it before, test memory, Iran. Why did Iran recognize Jerusalem, uh, Israel as an independent state? They were the second nation. America under Harry Truman was the first. Why did they recognize it? Because of the, of the oil situation and the Shah of Iran, who America put back in power because the British wanted British petroleum out of Iran. Now here's the question. Is there any significance to 1948? And the answer is no. How can I possibly say that? Because the significant place, the heavenly embassy in Jerusalem, is still being trampled on by the Gentiles today. Think about it. Who's trampling on the Temple Mount? Who controls the Temple Mount? Who will not allow Jews to pray out loud on the Temple Mount? The followers of Muhammad because they regard it as the third holiest site in all of Islam. No Jewish person can meet for prayer on the Temple Mount. No Christian can meet there for prayer on the Temple Mount. You can pray silently, but you can't gather in a little group. Because why? Jerusalem is still being trampled on by the feet of the Gentiles, the Muslims. And so what you see here is we're in a situation 
that Jesus has described, the abomination of desolation, verse 20, is Jerusalem being surrounded by armies. And that was the thing. Take action. Do you need to take action for the Lord's return if he returns today? No, just sit right there. If you fall asleep in my preaching and I can't succeed in throwing this bottle and waking somebody up, you know, if you're falling asleep when the trumpet sounds and the archangel shouts, come on up, it's not going to make any difference. You don't need to do anything to prepare for the Lord's return except to repent of your sins and cast yourself on God's mercy in Jesus. But the events that are being described by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 24 and in Luke 21, there was specific things that were going to happen. And when God's people, when God's elect, when the Jewish people who trusted in Christ and took his word seriously saw Jerusalem surrounded by armies, they said, it's time to get out. And it's truly amazing as you think about it. Do you know how that happened? Well, Judah and Israel rebelled against the Roman Empire in 66 AD. And the Roman armies march on the city and surround it. But then for some mysterious reason, the commander of the Roman armies out of Syria, because that's where the headquarters were, decides to retreat. Jerusalem was surrounded by pagan armies. Why are they called the abomination of desolation? They're called an abomination because, if we turn back to Matthew 24, he says there that it was because they were pagans. And look at verse 28 on page 1539, Matthew 24, 28. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. What is that vulture? Well, in Greek, the same word that's translated vulture is the word eagle. And remember that the Romans worshipped their, their insignia that they held on staffs. So they had eagles. And that was a symbol of their pagan beliefs. So the Romans are carrying their eagles. It's a symbol of the Roman Empire, the eagle. They're carrying them. They worship these things. And Jesus said, wherever there's a carcass. What is he really saying? He's saying that Jerusalem and the temple itself have become in the eyes of God a windswept house, a desolate house. Your house, not my house, says God. It's like a rotting corpse. If you ever go out walking and you look, as we live in a forest, you see sometimes buzzards swirling above. They have an incredible sense of smell. They can smell a dead thing. And they whirl around searching for it. And then they go down. And the stubborn things, they're the most stubborn birds I've ever seen. They won't get out of the way. You've got to honk the horn to get them out of the way because they're greedy. I want that good, ripe, aged beef. <laughs> Nothing better than armadillo on the half shell after it's rotted for three days. That's what a vulture says. But in Greek, 
The word for eagle, the word for vulture are the same. So Jesus is saying that the Jewish temple has now become your house, not my house, because the glory is departed, Ichabod, and it's left desolate. And now the people of God who have not obeyed Jesus' warnings, who have not repented of their sins and put their trust in him, have been held up for particular judgment. And that judgment came on the unbelievers, those who chose to go their way and not have anything to do with the Messiah of Israel. And he describes these people, this, this group of people, as a rotten corpse whose odors are going up into the sky, calling the vultures, the eagles down. And so he says, he warns them that this is about to happen. The believing, the believing Jews left the city when Cestius Gallus amazingly, mysteriously retreated. They said, well, that's the sign that Jesus gave. Jesus gave us a sign. When you see the abomination of desolation, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then don't go back down in the house to get anything. Just get out. Get out. Get out. Don't go back in the city. Flee. And they did flee. And they were protected and delivered. But those who did not flee, what, did they, what happened to them? Well, they're greatly emboldened. We drove the Romans off. Glory. Hallelujah. God's on our side. We're going to win. And so they pack the city. Jerusalem is packed. And then the Roman armies return. And then an incredible slaughter begins. Unbelievable slaughter. The city is packed. So there's no more room. They're in there and they feel emboldened. False prophets stand up and tell them, we're going to be delivered. We're going to be delivered. Don't worry about it. We're going to be delivered. And so many hundreds of thousands of people are packed in the city. And so the Romans come back in a time of wars and rumors of war. You know Nero? He died evidently by his own hand. And there's civil war in the Roman Empire during that time. And Vespasian, who had been put in charge by Nero to make the city fall, Vespasian leaves the, leaves the Roman army in the hands of his son Titus, not to be confused with the book of Titus. He leaves in their hand, his son's hands, and he goes back. In one year's time, there are four separate Roman emperors in a time of wars and rumors of war. And so the city is surrounded by armies, and finally it collapses. The Roman general Titus, who later became an emperor himself, destroys the city. The temple is knocked flat, where not a stone is left standing on another. And the slaughter, the blood flowing in the streets, oceans of blood, the butchery. Read Josephus' account, eyewitness account, as he had pleaded with his own people, don't do this if insane thing. You cannot win. But they believed they could because they believed the false prophets. And that's what this is essentially about at this point in this prophecy that Jesus gives. It happened. Take a thought from that. 
Jesus' words that the generation that was hearing him speak would see these things happen. That generation is 40 years. Jesus said these words in 30 A.D. And in 70 A.D., the city of Jerusalem is utterly, completely destroyed. Hundreds of thousands of people are butchered. And those that remain are led into captivity as slaves, men and women and children. And the gold and the silver that were in the temple, the Romans take. In my meager coin collection, I've said before, I have a silver coin. It's a Roman coin. And it says on it, Judea weeping in Latin. And it's a picture of a woman underneath a tree. And there's a menorah on it, Judea weeping. That coin was minted by the Romans with silver taken from the Jewish temple. Because God said of that temple, it's no longer my house, it's your house. What's the practical application of this for you and me? We live in times when things could really happen. What happens if your church is destroyed? The building I'm talking about. God's church will survive. It always has. It always will. There's this hymn that I like that back when we weren't meeting, I would have us learn. Built on the rock, the church doth stand, even when temples are falling. Civilizations come and go. America, how long will America last? I don't know. I don't know. Will America be around when the Lord Jesus returns? I don't know. I hope so. I'd like to be around when the Lord Jesus returns, but I don't know. The point I'm making is this. Who knows what your government will do to you? What is it like to be a Christian in China today? Sandy and I were on the phone two days ago uh, with a woman whose 85-year-old father was a high-up official in the Chinese Communist Party. And she's concerned for a parent's health. Well, of course. What can you say of, of the head of the Chinese Communist Party? German Xi. He's a fascist. He's not a communist. He's a nationalist, not a communist. And he is after annihilating all of the people groups that live inside the borders of the People's Republic of China. He is a murderous fascist who wants to wipe out all those people. Wow. And he would like to take us down. What do we do if we live in China? Do we give up meeting? No. But we have to meet together in a small group. Think about how the disciples reacted. Lord, are you telling us that the temple is going to be destroyed? Lord, don't you know that this is your embassy on earth? This is the place where your people gather. This is the place where your people worship you. This is the place where people pray and their prayers are answered. Are you really saying that you're going to leave it? Are you really saying that you're going to do to this temple what you did in Ezekiel's day? Ichabod? And Jesus is saying yes. But here's the beautiful thing. 
I will never leave you or forsake you. Because what replaces the Jewish temple is the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us his Holy Spirit. Ten days after he ascends to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit builds the temple of the new covenant. What's that temple? Well, I see a couple of blocks there. I see three, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Ten. I see a lot of the building blocks of the new temple. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am. We are the temple that's being built by God today. We survive. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the saints. The church survived the persecutions, those great ten waves of persecution under the Roman emperors. The church has survived throughout the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. Do you know that when Muhammad left, well, well he died within Saudi Arabia itself, the Arabian Peninsula. But his followers within a hundred years of Muhammad's death conquered the entirety of North Africa, the Middle East, and as a pincer were moving in on, on Europe, defeated at the Battle of Tours by Charles Martel. Do you know even under all of that, the church has survived? I have a very good friend who is a Syrian Christian. Do you know that the Christians have survived in Syria from the time of the conversion of St. Paul? There's still a Christian fellowship within Syria. Christians have survived even under Islam. Persecution, discrimination, but survives. This is what I want to say to you in the words of that hymn. God will take care of you in every way, in all the way. God will take care of you because this building is not the church. This building is not God's house. You are God's house, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are the replacement for that which had become a rotten corpse because of human iniquity and sin. Christ died for your sins that you and I would be filled with His Spirit and therefore always have His presence where two or three gather together in His name. May we pray. Lord, I pray that no matter what governments rule and regulate, the people of this church will continue to gather together in homes, in small groups, and even, Lord, we pray to be able to use this building because the church will stand, because the church has been built on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, even when temples are falling. We thank you, Lord, that you removed a system that was a shadow of the good things to come and that those good things to come we have now experienced and will experience in greater measure when you return. Keep us faithful until that day. For Jesus' sake, amen.